0: And starting in chapter 5 this morning as we go through some of the things uh, of of David's life, you know, we started this series in biographies. And and initially, uh, even in the first week, what we were looking at was really the the biography of God. You know, the story of Scripture is how God interacts uh, with His people. So creation is God creating, God creating His people What's this earth here for? Why are people here? What's our plan? What's our purpose? And then he goes into stories about people, and all the time it's God interacting with these people. And then you get to uh, the New Testament, and we see the fulfillment of God's, you know, really ultimate interaction with His people when Jesus comes. And so as we go through biographies, we'll be looking at the life of Christ too here in the next year, two years Six? I don't know. I mean, we've been in this almost three years, and and we're in David, and we're in 2 Samuel. So I like to take the moments that we can to point out exactly what God is doing. And this morning is going to be one of those moments. So as we look in the life of David, what you and I are actually going to be pulling out this morning is how God moves. What are God's moves? What does He do? And how can you and I be at peace... In a chaotic world, knowing that the God that is is alive and well in David's time, the God that is alive and well in Jesus' time, the God that is alive and well in Genesis, that he speaks to Abraham, that he gives Joseph visions, that he works with Daniel, like these are not calm times. And so as you and I are living in 2020, in this moment where everything around us, around us seems to be on fire, how do you and I look and know and understand that God is moving? What are his moves? How does he operate so that when you and I see them, hear them, experience them, we can get on board, follow them, and be a part of what the Lord would have for us? Because though our world may look different than it did 10 months ago or a year ago, God is still God. And he's still on the throne. And he still has a plan. And as much as the enemy would like for you and I to believe otherwise, he still has meaning and purpose attached to your life. His fingerprint is on you and in that fingerprint is everything you and I need to fulfill the calling God has for us right now. So that. Goodness and mercy may follow us all the days of our life, and then we may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our theology comes up strikingly when the chips are down. And this is why you and I have spent the last ten years studying so hard and figuring out things in the Word and diving deep and in Sunday school and on Sunday mornings talking about hard things because you're not going to get to miss them in this life. They're not always this broad. But every one of us will go through moments that are this intense. And so in those moments, we need to see how God operates, and that's what this morning is going to be. So where have we been? Well, we were talking about David's road. Remember last week, we talked about the idea of patterns and progressions. You see, David's fulfillments, his compliments, his commitments come at the exact right time. He doesn't rush them. He doesn't cheat them. And because of that, when the moment comes to be king, he is totally ready. If you remember, that little shepherd boy, that teenage shepherd boy is the one that's anointed. But as we watch scripture play out, it is not until he is about 37 years old that the fulfillment actually takes place. At least two decades pass between Samuel anoints him king and the crown is actually placed on his head for the whole nation of Israel. That is a lot of preparation. In that time period, he goes from a young boy that is faithful tending the flock to a military expert, a cultural hero. He's a stalwart in integrity. He will not move even though he could make his life a little easier, he could fulfill the plan just a little faster, even though, God help us, what a tempting idea this is, he could help God out a little bit if he just bends his integrity just a smidge. I mean, he's just taking what's rightfully his anyway. That's not who they get at 37. How about this one? He's a worldwide legend. The whole world knows who he is. He is a man of honor that is now made king. And the big idea from last week, I need you and I to understand, is God isn't wasting your time. If it took 20 years to prepare David, and I believe the number is about 13 years, to prepare Joseph in service, in prison, now Pharaoh's aid. if you remember that story. If it takes two decades to do one and 13 to do the other, the last six months of you and I sitting on the sidelines is not a waste of your time or mine. It is God preparing you and me and those around us for the mission ahead. You see, if you and I have a wrong theology about that idea, if we believe that that 20 years is a waste of time, if we believe that Joseph's 20, or 13 years is a waste of time, if we do that, our theology gets messed up, and you and I start to make bad assumptions. We start to whisper lies and inconsistencies about God, even if it's just to ourselves. The mind games that the enemy plays with you and I are very, very powerful. And little assumptions go a long way in hurting what we believe about God and who he actually is. So if you and I are looking at moments in time, especially in our life, and thinking, man, that was a waste of time. I can't believe that happened to me. Why am I laying here in this hospital bed? Why did I need a new hip at 39? What is going on? Right When we play those things out... If you don't play them out with a proper theology, you'll land in a really weird place. And you will discredit the Lord or you will harm his character by speaking things that aren't true. God anointed David as a teenage boy. He actually became king two decades later. We need to see that time as something important. We need to see that time the way... God sees it. So we talked about these patterns and progressions. I gave you a couple acronyms last week that I wanted to stick with. But I wanted to tell you, you know, Saul had evil and unrepentant patterns. David had good ones. That's the difference between the two of them. There are patterns and progressions throughout their life. Saul's were evil. I told you a couple weeks ago, the man could not repent. He could not really say he was sorry and own it. He was always deflecting, always blaming someone else. Always, always, always. Half credit for the evil, more than full credit for the good. That was Saul's life. If that's our life, we're going to be set up and destined to fail like he did. David had a different set of patterns. David had godly patterns with good character progression. And what do we talk about? David's patterns we looked at like pairs. Pairs, P-A-E-R-S. He had potential and then he was actual. Potentially king actually king he was gaining experience and then the idea with that experience is to replicate yourself no matter what you do parents that's what you're doing with your children better be a good replication better be something worth mimicking that's what we're doing with our children that's what you're doing with your grandchildren That's what you're doing at work when you're training that person that's either in a journeyman's program or they're studying under you or you got that student for that day, that week, that month, that year. That's what people are trying to do. They're trying to replicate the best of who they are in someone else so it goes on. No different for David. And then finally, at the end of the day, what do we want? We want to be successful. In that lifestyle of pears, what do we see? We see fruit. There are fruit constantly. There's failures, repentance, repentance. Unintended consequences. There are intentional changes that have to take place and then you and I need to dust ourselves off and try again. Do not quit. book of Hebrews says that those that quit, God's spirit, God's hand is not on them. We are not of those who quit. Why? Because our Savior did not and we will not when your mission has been handed to you, when your goals in life have been handed to you, by God, you and I are required not to quit. You will fail. Get up. You will fail. Ask for forgiveness. You will fail. Make changes. Figure it out. Keep working. Pray for help. Pray for strength. Pray to finish. Pray to be faithful. Pray to hear, well done. Try again. Do not quit. So we see these patterns go on in David's life. We're going to shift a little bit today because we're going to see God's moves in David's life. Look at 2 Samuel with me. David starts gaining his experience by watching God move. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites... The inhabitants of the land who said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. That is verse 6. So verse 6 in Jerusalem at the time, the Jebusites are there and they think it's so impregnable that David is not coming in. You know what? The blind and the lame are going to fight you off. That's the mockery that comes up. Go down a couple verses (laughs) in verse 9. And David lived in the stronghold and called the city the city of David. And David built the city all around from uh, Milo inward. And David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. Look at verse 11. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. We see the first piece how does God move? Friends, you've got to understand the first point. God moves in favor. I love doing weddings. Got to do one this weekend. One of my favorite parts is to talk about Proverbs. Proverbs says this, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I love that reminder to give people, especially that husband looking at him and saying, you know, hard days are going to come. We're always honest about what life looks like. But to look at that husband and say, every time you see your wife, every time you mention her name, every time you think about her, she is a picture, a living example that God loves you and he has shown you tremendous favor. I love that idea. God's favor is all over Scripture. He shows favor to Israel, right? He talks to Jeremiah and he shows favor to Jeremiah. What do you mean? He says, before you were born, I knew you, Jeremiah 1.5. How about in the Psalms? I knit you together in your mother's womb. Job 31 would say almost the same thing. I love this idea that if DNA has come down from person to person to person, if you and I are the same species, if we're all people, your DNA and mine, they match To a significant degree. I love this idea. Do you understand in Genesis when God grabbed Adam and grabbed that dirt and pulled it together? Do you understand that in the secret places, in the dark places of that moment, God saw you? If that's how DNA works, God scooped that dirt together that wasn't even living yet in that dark place, in that dark moment. God scooped that dirt together and He saw you and He saw me and He breathed life into Adam. And in that Adam was potential that would eventually become actual. You were there. Eve was there. And in the dark places before there was life, God knit you together, even in Adam's DNA. Later on in the Psalms, it would say that while you were being... Oven baked by your mama, the Lord was there just knitting these things, just putting them together, weaving them. One element of tremendous favor is that you and I are even here. Jesus would go even further and say, You didn't choose me, I chose you. John chapter 6, John chapter 15. You want to read some really hard stuff, go into John and just start reading it. But when you see Jesus dealing with the disciples and he looks at them and says, You didn't pick me, I chose you. You listen to him, he is speaking to you. You go to John 17 and you read that and he's praying for you. That we would be in him as one and in God as one. That we would be one body, that we would be of one accord, that we would be peaceful. Listen, you are highly favored. And if nobody else in this world has ever picked you for anything, the Lord loves you, and he chose you. And if that doesn't buoy you, you don't understand much about God. God moves in favor. God moves in favor. He has favored you. Friends, one of the most disastrous pieces of that, though, is there's a ton of accountability that comes with that favoring. The firstborn was favored and given extra. And you know what they were to do with that? Pour it out on everybody else to make sure they were cared for and taken care of. So if God has shown us favor, if he has shown us blessing, if he has given us more of himself, then that has been there and handed to us so that we may use it to show others him. See, the nation of Israel was favored. And their mission was to show the world that God was good. And in their mission, they failed like we do. They became too much like the world and were of no use. Or they isolated themselves from the world and deemed it nasty and horrible and wouldn't touch it. You see a huge transition between Old Testament and New Testament. That New Testament, Jerusalem, that's what's going on with Jesus. That's why they hated that he dined with sinners. Because the nation of Israel had flopped. Now they are so isolated from the world they can be no good to it. Whereas before they had gotten so close to it that they were no good to it. So God crushed them and pulled them out of the land. Do you understand? Do you remember the story now? If God has showed us favor, if He has shown Himself mighty in your life, if He has touched you in certain ways, if He has brought you through certain things, He has done that so that you may lead others. They may see your life and go, wow, I want what you have to offer. What is it? And you and I can just go, it's nothing in me, it's all in him. Let me tell you about him. Go on down in chapter 5 with me, just a couple more verses, get to 17. So David is now king. David is now taken over the stronghold. Verse 17 says, When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel... All the Philistines went out, uh, went up to search for David, but David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore the name of the place is Baal-perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there and David and his men carried them away chapter 5 verses 17 and 21 how else does God move God moves in direction God moves in his word you see favor is something you and I can experience and we may not even be able to diagnose it until we look backward that's how cool favor is You may not even be able to diagnose that God is at work until a year later, five years, ten years later when you look backward and then you can say, holy moly, what I thought was a curse, what I thought was a hard time was actually God's favor being poured out on me. That's the way favor can work. But God also moves in direction. David is a new king. He's now in charge of the whole nation and he is seeking out counsel on what to do next. He listens to the word of the Lord. He asks and he receives. Friends, the word of God then and the word of God now are tremendously different. David has what we would deem some of the Old Testament to go on. He has the writings of Moses. You and I have the entire scripture. We have Jesus' biography. We have the Apostle Paul indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So the word to David was go, and yes, I will be there. The word to you and I sits on our coffee table and collects dust. Then we wonder why God never speaks. If you're questioning what God wants you to do and you've not opened a Bible app or opened a real Bible, then don't question anymore. Start there. See what he's done. Then you'll know what he's telling you to do. love it. God moves in his word. David seeks the Lord. Do you understand the idea of even seeking is a concept of wisdom, humility, and worship? Like, if you and I miss the point where we're not seeking God, we are denying our own selves wisdom, we are showing our pride, and we are denying God worship. All of prayer is one of two things. You're either asking God for something you can't provide on your own, or you're thanking Him for something you didn't provide on your own. God, I need help here. I need wisdom here. God, I need uh, uh, to resist this temptation. God, I need this. Or God, thank you for that. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for strengthening me. Thank you for taking care of me. When you and I refuse to pray and seek God's will, we are denying him worship. We are denying our own humility. We're showing our pride because we think we are self-sufficient. I mean, the best you can get by not praying, I mean, mean, it's a whacked out idea, but the best you could get would just be, well, I don't want to waste God's time. Let me tell you something that happens every time I don't ask my dad for help with something. You know what he gets? Mad. Every time. I am 39 years old. Some things I, can't, I still can't do on my own. Some things I can. If I can do it on my own and I accomplished it on my own, when I tell him about it afterward, he's still mad. Why didn't you call for help? Why didn't you tell me I'd come help you? Listen. If an earthly father can love like that, what about your heavenly father? Do you understand that 24-7 his mind and his eye are on you? like It's on me and it's on my wife and it's on my children, but it's not just on our home. It's on us individually. He sees what's going on in my heart. He's touching me, drawing me, pushing me, prodding me. For me not to speak to him, I'm not taking up his time. I cannot do it. To say something that feels halfway decent... Is a cop out. We don't pray because we think we can handle it. We don't pray because we think we got this. We don't pray, God help us, because we don't think He's listening anyway. We don't pray because we have believed many, many lies that the enemy has told us. David prays and God's word says, Go. If you're seeking something now and you haven't opened your Bible, you've done yourself a great disservice. You're behind. Flip the book open. Start to read it. If you need wisdom in the world, start in Proverbs chapter 1. You need wisdom on how to deal with people? Start in Proverbs. You, need, you got grief? You're hurting right now? Go to Psalms. And just start reading. You want to know a little bit more about your Savior? Go to Matthew. Go to John. Just read. You want to know how the church is supposed to operate? Ephesians, Galatians. First and second Thessalonians. Listen, it's there. It's there. God, he moves in direction. He will give you a direction. He'll tell you to go. How about a little bit further down? Verse 22. And the Philistines came up yet again and they spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go, go around to their rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. How Else is God going to move? He's going to move an example. You say, I want to know what I want to, I, want, I don't want to know what I want to need to do with my life. Blah, 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 blah. I'll get there. The CD's skipping. You say, I want to know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Follow the example. The Lord has gone out before you and showed you what to do. The life of Jesus Christ is that picture, but it doesn't begin and end there. He also shows you in the Old Testament, if you will read and watch God operate. If you will read it with eyes that want to see, He moves in a direction, so He tells you to go. He moves an example when He says to wait. Wait, follow me. I heard a guy once say, look where the Lord is moving, and go there. (laughs) I thought, man, that is way too simple. Well, where's God already working? Well, I want to go there. That's part of the reason why Allison and I landed at this church. A long time ago was that idea. Things are happening. People are growing. They need some tenured Christians that can teach a class. They need something. They need help with this. They need it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is doing things there, and we want to be involved. And so we landed here in this church. Part of that was, was out of that example. Where's God working? I want to go be a part of that. God moves in action. Follow me. I'll show you. I'll tell you. I'll show you. I love this. It's the same kind of battle, but I love that David doesn't assume that he already knows the plan. Oh, man, that makes my hair stand up. He doesn't assume. He goes back into the prayer closet. Are we doing this again, God? Or do you have something new? Same enemy, different plan. But God says, wait. God says, follow. I'm going to show you what to do when you hear the trees. When you see the interaction, go. When you watch me move, don't don't go ahead. Don't fight this battle on your own. Don't jump out ahead of what God wants. He's giving you direction. He's going to give you an example. As long as you and I are behind him, we know that he is right behind us. We're okay. Don't get away from the shepherd. So God moves in example. How about chapter 6? We get into one of the weirdest, not weirdest, we get into one of the the hardest to understand passages in all of Scripture. And you know me, I'm a simple person. I like simple things. So I'm going to give it to you as simply as I can. There are so many people in the faith that have a problem with this passage. So I'm going to read it with you. Look at chapter 6 with me. Verses 1-4, through David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose, and he went with the people who were with him to Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. I'm glad we narrowed that down to the ark. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went out before the ark. With all his blessings, David decides to give honor to God. He should be worshipped. He should be honored. And in that, David makes this decision. Like, we have a city, I am king. The ark is sitting stranded. Why? Because Saul and the army did something super foolish. They used it like a rabbit's foot. Remember that? They're going to run it out in battle first. And actually, instead of winning the battle, it gets taken. The ark of God gets taken. Why? Because the nation of Israel just thought, as long as we're behind it, we're cool. Right, because they had went out without it and taken a beating and yet they did not honor God by praying to him asking for his help seeking repentance and then walking in a way that was proper instead they just went and grabbed the rabbit's foot a chain we wear around our neck or that title we just say we're Christian and everything ought to be okay we grab our Bible and flip it open for 30 seconds because we're upset about something and just think we need to just a little quick fix We do the same stuff, you all. Don't read the Old Testament and be hard on them. Let me tell you something. You and I are worse because if you are a born-again believer, you actually have the Holy Spirit in you, living in you. Every time we rub that rabbit's foot, every time we turn from God, every time we refuse to repent, we're actually doing so with the presence of God in our heart, in our life, begging us not to. So be careful when you read the Old Testament. Don't be prideful. But that's the story of what happened. They lost the battle. They had won one mightily. They lost the next one. And in order to fix the problem, they created another problem. They went and grabbed the ark and ran it out into battle. And guess what happens? They got beat again. Now the ark of God, the presence of God, the picture of the presence of God is now in a foreign land. And David says, man, the Lord has been good. He has honored me. He has honored the nation. We are now put back together. Let's go get this thing and put it in its rightful place. Boy, that sounds like a really good plan, don't it? That sounds like a great plan. How else does God move? Look at verse 5. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord in songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah put his hand on the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And we think, wow, well, that's a that's a reasonable response. Like the ark's gonna fall off the cart. So he puts his hand against it and what happens? Verse 7 says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his error and he died there beside the ark of God. God moves in judgment. God moves in judgment. Friends, the right plan in the wrong manner will not bring about God's blessing. Did God give instruction on how to move the ark? The ark of the covenant, he gave plain instruction, right? The Levites were to carry that, four of them. Two poles, lined with gold, run through the rings, and carried from place to place wherever they were going. There were specific instructions. My heart grieves even to talk about this part of the story. God moves in judgment. Do you know who is worse about this than anybody else on the planet? It's pastors. Ministers that have failed in the ministry. Why? Well, their families would tell you that they had an affair with the church, meaning they got their priorities out of alignment. They did a good thing in a wrong manner for their pride or for their own self-confidence or for the building of the body even. In the best case scenario, for the building of that body, they gave more of themselves than they had to offer. They gave more of themselves than God required. And in doing that, they caused a curse. And by the time you finish that story, they are mad at God for what he took from them when God never did it. That's the problem with this passage. When you ask young believers, it blows their mind, why? Because Uzzah just reached out to touch the ark and make sure it didn't fall. He was actually honoring God. No, he wasn't. The whole story from David starting out until that moment, God said, do not. You and I do not get to make the case that it's okay this time. That I'll do it to honor the Lord. I hate to be glib with this idea, but have you seen the Facebook post where it says, Ladies, God will not send you someone else's husband. Somebody giggle at that. It's terrifying, but it's also funny. Because when you talk to people that are in the middle of that kind of crazy sin, that's the kind of stuff they will say. This is a blessing. No, it's not. And if it's a blessing, it's a blessing from the enemy. It's not a blessing from God. It's silly stuff like that that gets us in trouble. It's why I have no problem with this passage. I hate the uh, the idea that Uzzah died. I hate the idea that he was judged right there. I hate the idea in my own life that I think I'm going to do godly things in an ungodly manner because I know every one of those that I did is one day going to burn up as wood, hay, and stubble. In the middle of standing in front of King Jesus, everything that I did, remember Jesus said you you, you would claim that you prophesied in my name, right? And People now would say, well, I sung in your name and I preached in your name and I served Sunday school and I drove the bus and I blah, blah, blah. Whatever, whatever. And Jesus would say, you did those in your power for your glory and they will, poof, be gone. Even though they were great things. That is the story of this passage. God moves in judgment. A Christian, when you see it, when you experience it, you need to learn to turn from it. God prescribed the way to move the ark. It had nothing to do with new ox, old ox, a cart, wheels anything. It was four priests dedicated to the service and the idea and the concept was you're not even carrying the ark, God is carrying you. That's what people that believe Jewish stuff would say like the ark would have been too heavy for four people to even carry for that far. So the idea was you're not carrying God he's carrying you. They didn't do that. So God moved in judgment. as a uh Is now dead. Look at verse 8. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? What does that sound like in our life? How are these blessings of God going to come to me? They're going to come in the way God prescribed them to come, not in the way you and I think they ought to get there. Does that make sense? David is mad at God because God said he was going to do exactly what he was going to do. And David says, I'm angry. How are we even going to get the ark back? Like a piece of his heart is still in the right place. How is it even going to happen? It's going to happen the way God prescribed it to happen. Back up and find what God tells you to do. And do it. Don't get angry at God when judgment comes because you and I do sinful things especially when we try to do them with the right heart. The process matters to God. It may not matter in D.C. It may not matter at the state capitol. God help you, it may not even matter in your home. It matters to God. The ends and the means both matter. Every day, for the rest of your life, they will matter God's character is in the means as much as it is the end. How about this one? Verses 8 through 11, right? God's moves, how's he move? He moves with his word. David is confused and angry, but God's still moving even in unintended consequences. Look at verse 10. So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, and the ark... The Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord did what? The Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. God is still working even in the unintended consequences. David may be upset. God is still doing what God does. How does God move? He moves with His word. God is a blessing. To sit that there for Obed. I don't know what Obed-Edom's thought process was in the moment, right? Like, I'm going to say no to the king and end up dead. I'm going to say yes to God and it's going to fall and I'm going to touch it. and I'm going to end up dead. I don't know what to do. Yeah, just put it over there. We'll be cool. I don't know what his thought process was. But if anything in him was like, that's where God's presence is supposed to dwell, yeah, put it on my property. That sounds awesome. This three-month time period, there is a notable, notable blessing being poured out. So notable that it makes David change his mind. David's not angry anymore. He's trying to figure out, wait a second, that blessing needs to be shared. Obed-Edom is being blessed by the presence of God, by the ark being there, by him taking care of uh, what is in his stewardship. We need to share that. So what happens in the next part? So God works with His word. Verse 12, And it was told to King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. So David went and he brought up the ark from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark, who? Those who bore it, not the oxen, when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. And David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. See, God also moves in blessing. David gets his mind right. He gets his heart right. He gets a little quiet time, probably in time out, right? That three-month time period where he's over there sulking. I try to do a good thing. Lord wouldn't let me. Right? It's his fault. Then all of a sudden it shifts. I'm like, well, he's still blessing though. What's going on over there? I'd like to have a little piece of that myself. You know what we need to try again? That ark needs to be in Jerusalem. See it play out? Somebody that he knew had to come up to him and said, David, you've read the law. What does God say? How do we move the ark? How are we supposed to move the ark? Maybe we ought to do it according to his word this time and maybe not yours. I mean, those two new oxen that had never pulled anything were nice and all, but God has a plan and a purpose and details matter. So maybe we ought to listen this time. And what do they do, man? They go over the top with rejoicing. Every six steps, a burnt offering. The whole way through, dancing, rejoicing. God's blessing is moving. And it's moving David's heart. To bring him back toward the Lord. God moves in his blessing. So what was favor once before where maybe you couldn't diagnose it is now what happens when you do what God tells you to do. It's blessing. If you remember Pastor Don used to say all the time, David, uh, uh, God doesn't bless people, God blesses his word. Man, that brings me comfort. I don't deserve to be blessed by God. I don't deserve for him to show me favor. But man, when I read his word and I apply it to my life, God shows blessing. He shows power and authority for the day that I'm in and the time to come. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And when those days run out, I will be in the house of the Lord forever. And what happens in this passage? We see a couple things. David is gaining experience, David is learning to repent. David is learning to try again. And in that, we see part of his life story building him up to be a more courageous king, a better king, even pouring him into the idea of being a man after God's own heart. We see all of that. But the main point I wanted you to see today is that God moves and he still moves in the same way. What ways does God move? He moves as a good father, he moves as a good king. God moves. As a child, I should expect Him to do certain things and see them. As they come, and we get ready to finish up this morning, God moves in favor toward us. Has He moved in favor toward you? Do you understand like, that there are certain times in your life when you have to, you have to log those things? You have to tell your children what God did, how He favored you. You have to put those things in your mind because there will come days when it feels like He's distant. And when those days that feel distant come up, you and I have to be reminded of how good He's been and where He's been, what He did, what He protected you from, what He saved you from. How else does God move? God moves in favor, but He also moves in direction. He will tell you to go. That is what the Word of God is for. Pick it up and read it. He will give you a mission. He will make you something special. He will make you authoritative. He will make you needed. I don't care what your field is or where you're at tomorrow morning at Monday morning at 9 a.m. If it's a hospital, a school, a place of business, if you're a professional, if you're just in your home. If it's a Sabbath rest day, it does not matter. If you read his word, he will tell you things to do. He will make you an authority. He will make you strong and powerful and needed in any circumstance. He moves an example. You want to know what God is going to do? Look at what he's already done. Follow him. When you see the spirit move, get close to it. If you see that person at work that seems that the Holy Spirit is churning something there, find a way to get inside that and feed it. Be a part of it. Follow the Lord. How about this when he moves in judgment? Listen, a lot of what you and I, when you flip on the news, I want you to understand something. When you flip on the news, you're seeing God's judgment. You're seeing God's judgment. When a people cannot come together, when there are no unifying principles, when everybody does what is right in their own eyes, when they are not seeking the Lord, that is his judgment. He says, okay, your will be done. When you turn on the news, that's what you're seeing. Do not. Be fooled. This is judgment. God moves with his word. Again, the idea of moving in your life, moving you through life will come with his word. And God moves in blessings. Do not forget to tell him thank you what you didn't know to thank him for that was favor, you have ample opportunity now to say, Lord, that was a blessing. Thank you. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a coincidence. It was your hand moving and your imprint is all over it. Thank you. We stand with me this morning. If you don't know how God moves, take the time to think these things over to honor Him by paying attention, by wanting what He has to offer you. Honor Him in humility when you want what He has to offer more than what you think you can provide. As they sing this morning, just think it over.